And we're back. Hey everyone, I'm Gabrielle. And I'm Dan. And welcome to another episode of Millenniating. Woohoo! So today, we're going to talk about... um, Management. Management. Like workplace management. Those above you, those who organize things to support your job, those who are supposed to support your job, and all that good stuff. Yes, and I have warned Gabby that we're we're not going to let this turn into a, like, complaint about previous jobs. No, yeah, no. We, we, we're, any stories we tell are going to be very generalized, so just, just so y'all know, because, you know, the point of this episode isn't to throw people under the bus, but to discuss mm-hmm. how, you know, a lot of management has changed over the years, and right. management styles have become a lot more diverse. And I think that the our generation's view of the workplace is a lot different. Very very different so managing us is different right like, there's a there's a lot of changes and you you see articles all the time all i'm sure we'll be time. posting a few this week that it'll just on the page just to be like well, read this Check to support this my out. thoughts yeah <laughs> <laughs> this person also agrees with me but a lot of them you see is like like people people keep trying new things to make the workplace more like enjoyable I -hmm. guess but a lot of it doesn't improve the job a lot of it is like superfluous where it'll be like we gave you free snacks reuse of that word superfluous superfluous I still can't say it I love that word superfluous fluous yeah teaching Gabby words. I, I learn words all the time because... It's going to be the first five minutes of every episode. <laughs> every episode. I feel like I have a really strong vocabulary, but there are still plenty of words that I like. I'm like, huh. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of words out there. <laughs> there are a lot of words out there. <laughs> um, so according to psychology... Just all of psychology or a specific person website article yes uh no uh, pretty much all of psychology um everyone that's ever studied psychology agrees because i you know i remember learning about it in psych classes i had to you know Mm -hmm. there were there are like the the four main types of of authority in the workplace and um they're usual they're oh and i can't you know, because of course nowadays there are like, you know, 20 different types, but in like basic, basic um, management styles, there's like, there's, there's four. Um, she's flipping through her phone because she lost the article that she was going to yeah, talk about. So while she's riffing, she's <laughs> frantically swiping. Yes. Um, so uh, there's, uh, I mean... For the most part, the internet is pretty much breaking it down to three right now. There's authoritarian, there's democratic, and there's laissez-faire. And there's a fourth one in there that I believe is between authoritarian and democratic. And when I took my basic psychology courses, that type of management between authoritarian and democratic, the one that had that, that nice balance to it, was considered the optimal type of management, the one that workers and, um, you know, employees responded to the most. Okay, so what is authoritarian? 
so authoritarian is like my way or the highway. Right. It is you do things by the book the way your management says it needs to be done, and you do not digress from that. Period. Right. End of statement. Um, very standard scene in many different professions, especially you know the military, the police force, etc. Yeah, There's, and I think it has to be a part of any management style there has to be a moment at least where you're like this just needs to get done right right exactly and that's that's what i think is really interesting about most most psychology is the end statement of majority of things that we that you explore when you study psychology even even down to like freud versus pavlov and um stuff like that like it's the bottom line is always some sort of mix of the differences is what's best like okay. middle ground so, flexibility so authoritarian is my way or the highway yes democratic would then just be like everyone gets a, a say yeah pretty much you know management reaches the decision based on input from their employees or maybe other managers as well it's kind mm -hmm. of a it's a group effort it's it's the way our country is supposed to be run right. <laughs> it's a, true well, democracy is very hard to come by but that's you know that's what Democratic and management is supposed to be. Laissez-faire is, like, not actually laying down the law at all, right? Yes, yes. It is a no-interference management. It is a, mm -hmm. you know, they are the manager for for structural purposes. Other than that, you are on your own. You do you, and they, they really try not to get involved. Um, you know, they... Uh, little or no interference from management, staff don't need supervision or are highly skilled, which allows management to be that way. Um, but there's also various styles of it. Uh, Laissez-faire tends to be the one that, that you don't see very often today in, in most career professions, I should say. Um, there are, you know, the, you know, there are locations where you can find that kind of management, but that kind of management tends to not be successful in big chains or big organizations. Yeah, I think it depends on the structure of your workplace. I think all three have their places. Um, if you hear any background noises, like dogs flapping their ears, because uh, <laughs> Amy's playing with Charlie. Yeah, she is. I'm trying to keep him out of the cat's bowl, which he's... Seems to, he's, oh, he's, he's very curious. He's very oh. curious about what this new type of kibble is. <laughs> <laughs> and we we haven't Kevin and I haven't diverted from his puppy food or his treats at all because um, we don't want him to be a bigger beggar. And I had a beagle moose, my best friend. I loved him so much. And we had to like surgically remove his eye because it had a mass in it. Mm. And you know, post op, just like with adults, you know, post operatively, a lot of the time we do a clear liquid diet or light light foods so that you know your GI tract has time to come back from that anesthesia and you're not vomiting and blah blah blah. Well, you do the same thing with dogs. So when Moose came home from that surgery, it was like his first couple meals were like rice and chicken broth, and then you'd mix in a little bit of very bland chicken and. Um, it, they suggested that we make, prepare it for him, not go out and buy supposed mixtures because, you know, then there's preservatives and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and coming out of anesthesia, you don't, you don't want to mess with that. Um, and then Moose got 
very greedy. He only wanted people food. We always had to mix some sort of broth or soup or anything that would coat his dog food. We always had to mix his food after that because he would not eat it otherwise. And I absolutely do not want that to happen with Charlie. Yeah. So. So with dogs, you have an authoritative management style. Yes. Yes, I do. Because <laughs> if you gave them a vote... They would be like, well, I want to eat that and that and also maybe try this cushion <laughs> and I would very much like to, to bite this chair leg. Yeah. Cats are a little different. Cats are like, every once in a while you, you got to make some concessions. Right. You got that authoritative, but if they're like, you are eating chicken and that is my favorite thing, so I am going to... Uh, like stare at you while you eat this and if you don't give me a piece I'm going to wake you up in the middle of the night by sitting on your face so you give them a piece of chicken every once in a while every once in a while hey I mean that's that's some democratic management I mean I feel like the cats are really the uh, the authoritative figure in cat relationships so <laughs> in, in, in some places it's, it's sometimes no. it's a very like inverted relationship with cats you know what I mean it's, it's not. It's not always the cat listening to the people. It's the people tailoring their ways to satisfy El Cato. That's such a dog person thing to think about cats. It is. It. it uh, no, and I know it. You know, because because with with dogs, it's you. You you gate them off. You tell them no, and um, they. I don't know. I've never had a cat, so I don't know the training process for a there cat. There is no training process. You crazy? So exactly. So there's they train you. See, <laughs> see, even Amy said that Amy's a cat person, but with dogs, you need to train them. Yeah. You need to, or it'll be bad. I mean, like with Jim, if he's if he's doing something that I don't think he should be doing, I will literally just pick him up and like throw him across the room and be like do that somewhere else <laughs> and he'll look at me and he'll be like oh i can't throw you <laughs> yeah so that's that's i mean that's that's jim for you <laughs> we um, got this love sack which is like if, if you don't know it's like a giant i love it it's it's like a beanbag chair but it's not bean beans in it it's like i don't know little pieces of foam mm -hmm. um so it's really comfy but it's a perfect landing spot for a cat Mm -hmm. So when I'm cooking anything, Jim will come into the kitchen and just start screaming at me. Mm -hmm. So I've been just like picking him up and going, yeet, and tossing him, <laughs> the, tossing him into the, uh, the sack. Throwing him onto the love sack. And he will like just get up and like come right back in sometimes. That's and I'm hysterical. like, oh, you want to do it again? Cool. Yeet. <laughs> So I finally found an article that breaks down their definitions just a little bit more, so I'm just going to read some of them off. Um, authoritarian leadership leaders are also known as autocratic or dictatorial leaders. Um, their leadership style is characterized by close supervision, lack of input from followers, complete control, total authority, and solo decision making. So that's what that one is. Democratic leadership or participative leadership um, is one of the loon's three styles of leadership, which I believe are what I went over. Um, that's characterized by shared decision-making responsibilities, social equality, creativity, and high engagement from group members. Laissez-faire leadership type is another one of the loon, um, the loon 
styles of leadership, and that's characterized by little direction from the leader, lots of freedom for group members. Team members are responsible for making all decisions and a great deal of autonomy. Um, and then there's also transactional leadership style um, that's characterized by lots of instruction, clear expectations, clear goals, inflexibility, efficiency, and focused on focuses on rules on following rules so that one sounds more like the structures already in place and then they give instructions to their their followers or their employees and then you are supposed to follow the path that's already been laid out for you right um yeah so i think it depends on the business and it depends on who your employees are. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you are at, in a retail setting right. and you have all this information about, um, say, like the, the productivity numbers you have to hit, mm -hmm. sometimes I think our generation appreciates some authoritative measures where it's just like, this is what we have to hit. Here's your goal. Absolutely. And that, like, this is what I want you to do to get there. Mm -hmm. And that kind of takes some of the pressure off because if you're doing what needs to be done, like if you say like I'm following your five point plan, and the numbers aren't hitting what they need, then the blame's not on you. It's on the plan. You know. Yeah. And then that goes back to the manager and they have to take that information and and kind of roll with it and be like, well, then we need to change this part or do this. Um, so if the, if the manager is like cognizant of what they're asking and what is the result of it, mm -hmm. I think that can be decent. Absolutely. And even, even in psychological studies, you know, the bottom line is usually that a mixture of all of them mm -hmm. is what develops great leadership. Um, in nursing, management is, is interesting. And I've been learning that a lot since working in a hospital. Because initially I started in a subacute rehab, and so things were very different there than they are in a hospital. And in a hospital, you as, as like just a staff nurse, you know, so like I am an employee, I have one level of coworkers that I am technically I technically delegate to or manage, quote unquote, um, which is the techs and ancillaries and the CNAs. Um, you know, their their purpose is so they are nursing staff support. So that's definitely a, the one of the transactional types of leadership because we don't we can we do delegate to them and like we ask them for help and stuff like that. But their structure of the tasks that they are supposed to complete in their shift stays the same you know um you know most of the time they're responsible for vitals wash-ups bed baths each unit is different but they you know they have a level of things that fall in their category that we do not defer from however if we need their help in other things like blood draws like we need an arm held down or straight cathing we need some legs held open or you know transporting a patient like we have transport systems but sometimes our techs do it that's they're a very flexible position um and then we have most units have they have their manager they have a 
clinical charge or an administrative charge, and we have a, um, a CNS or a nursing educator. So we kind of end up with three managers that also have their own managers, and it's like this very long chain of command that usually screws some of us over. But I have had some amazing managers in the nursing field, and I've had some not so great ones, but, um, you know, the management style in at least the nursing um, field is incredibly important to the functionality of an environment. You know what I mean? I feel like some workplaces, it doesn't really fully matter what kind of manager you have because, you know, there's like a clear set of tasks and you either do it or you don't. Yeah, I was thinking in the, in the teaching world, I mean, you, you have a lot of different people in charge of a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So like technically a, a teacher's manager is the principal. Right. But a teacher's also managed by the state department when they plan the curriculum that their class needs, mm -hmm. um, which is sometimes also a national education directive. Mm -hmm. So, and then even down, there's the principal and then below the principal, sometimes there's a team leader. Mm -hmm. So say you're in the math department, there's a math lead. Um, right. So there's a lot of different people in charge of what eventually gets sent to the students. Um, but ultimately in education, the teacher is the manager and the students are the uh, quote unquote uh, employees basically. Right. Which is a very interesting way to look at it. And if you look at, if you look at that, right, like, and if in nursing, if we look at it in the way of like nurses are the manager and patients are the quote unquote employee or follower, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely for us at least that like in the nursing field, we as nurses have a very democratic style of leadership, right. but we have to, you know what I mean? We can't force medications on them. We can't, mm -hmm. we won't, we don't do any procedures. They don't want to do like patients are very much involved in their care, but we also very much have to be like, Hey, you know, doing this thing will very much help you not die. So right. we highly suggest you do this. They still have to agree, but we kind of put the guidelines out there for them or the doctor does and then we implement it and work from there. Yeah. What is it in teaching? Like what would you say the teacher style is? Well, I think it has to it's, I think it switches between all of them constantly. Mm -hmm. I think um, there's a there's a goal in teaching where when you first introduce a subject you or a concept you are direct teaching mm -hmm. so you're basically saying like this is what it is let me show you how i do it right and it's uh it's the introduction of it it's the basic facts it is like this is what you need to understand how to start this mm -hmm. and then there's the we do this part where it becomes a little bit more of like a democratic style where you provide a problem and you take input from the students mm -hmm. and they in turn basically give you their 
their interpretation of it. Uh -huh. So you can see that they are ready to kind of take it on their own. Mm -hmm. And this can be done, um, sometimes it looks like, you know, a student raises their hand and you call them to answer the question. And sometimes it's like everybody write down your answer and then hold it up so that the teacher can see that everyone's able to kind of take it into to their own hands. Right. Um, and then there's the you do it part where the teacher gives the student something to work on and steps back. Right. And that's kind of laissez-faire where you're, you become mm -hmm. the, the off-hand manager where if someone needs something, they can ask you, mm -hmm. but you're not going to kind of put yourself into their work. Right. Because you need to see that they can do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes that happens all in one class period, but usually that's a process where, like, one day you introduce it, and then the next day uh, you'll take that subject and, or that concept and you'll do it together, and then the next day they're ready for it on their own, things like that. Right. Um, so different, uh, different teachers have different processes, different subjects have different processes, mm -hmm. but I think that that, that style, like, when, when a teacher's being observed... Uh, usually a principal wants to see an I do, you do, we do, or an I do, we do, you do mm -hmm. flow to the lesson. Interesting. Um, so you really go through all three of the main ones in one stream. Interesting. Because, like, as from the perspective of somebody who was a student for a very long time and <laughs> who um, never stepped into the teacher role, and I don't consider coaching teaching because that is just, that is just a whole nother game you know what I mean like sure we're teachers but like the kids sign up for the sport and you know their level of participation alters things and you know but with school kids quote unquote have to go to school right you know um so you go to grade school and you graduate high school and then after that it's kind of whatever but society as a whole is set up that we are supposed to go to school k through 12 right and as somebody who never stepped into a teacher role, I looked at teachers as like an authoritarian role, in all honesty. Sure, we had our laissez-faire days, you know, where they would just be like, here's a movie, watch it, you know? Mm -hmm. But the overall structure that as students, most of us see is we are learning this in class. You are doing this for your homework. We will take a test this day. And sure, like you said, some days teachers are like, do you think you're ready? Like... Do you, would you rather take the test Friday or do you want me to give you till Monday? Because nobody likes a Monday test, but if everybody wants an extra two days to study, you know, some, te some teachers will give that to you. Mm. Um, same thing with like split lunches. It's, okay, do you want to get all the way through class and then go to lunch at this time? Or do you want to do some of class, take that middle lunch and then do more of class? You know, because a lot, at least in North, you had that option some of mm. the time. Um, and then it was, you either did it or you didn't. And it would affect your grade, you know? Right. And there, and there wasn't, most of the time, there wasn't making it, making it up. You know what I mean? Like, some teachers did extra credit, but for the most part, it was, well, you didn't do your homework, so this is your grade. Well, you didn't, you didn't know this answer, so this is your grade. Yeah. You know what I mean? There are a lot of discussions about this in education today. Um, a lot of it especially on the elementary side, like mm -hmm. K through five, um, a lot of it is like, do we hold a kid accountable for 
time management skills when they're being taught that at home. I'm really glad so, to hear that you that like that's discussed amongst oh, education. It is a huge thing right now. Like there's discussions of do we grade homework? Or should homework be like a, a extra credit, extra credit. <laughs> not, not even extra credit, just a uh, do it or didn't do it. Or just is it not a grade? Is it a practice? Do we send this home so that the kids that need it yeah. can do it? I did have one math teacher teacher that you know she would give you like say she gave you twenty problems for mm-hmm. homework right, and as somebody who always did their homework especially math, until senior year of high school. <laughs> I always did my homework. I was very good about my homework, um, especially with math because I, I liked the practice. And in a subject like math, the only way that you prepare for the test is by doing your homework. You know what I mean? Is by that repetition of doing the problem and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, but if you understand the concept, then repeating it is just work. Right. Well, yeah, ab- absolutely. Doing it until you understand it. But, you know, like I had one teacher that if she gave you 20 questions for homework and if you came in with 16 of them done and 14 and four of them, like with question marks, like, hey, I really didn't understand this. So I was hoping we would go over it during the review. She would be like, well, you should have like you still didn't do them. And she would take points off. Hmm. And that was extra frustrating for me as a student because, like, clearly I did the other problems that I knew, and it sucked to get deducted. Like, I was, like, half a point, but, you know, if you're fluttering between that B and an A, or for some students that C and a B, that half a point. Yeah, well, from a teacher perspective, like, it's tough because you're expected to have a certain amount of grades to assess someone's ability. Mm -hmm. And the... The concept of grades has changed so much. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I, I don't even know if it's changed so much, but the concept of grades is like it shows your value now as like a person, which is totally wrong. Like, yeah, a grade should show just your ability to do something. Mm-hmm. And no matter how hard you work at it, you can increase your ability. But the grade should reflect what your actual ability is. Right. So there's so many students that just need that A, need that A, need that A. And they're working so hard just to get that letter on a piece of paper. Yeah. And they will get upset if their ability level is not to the to the degree that it should be. Absolutely. But there's some people getting A's because they want it and not because they've earned it. Right. And... That, to be fair, when you go to school, that's what they tell you your entire job in life, your only purpose, basically. Yeah. Your only goal is to prove that you're that this is going to set your future, and if you don't get A's and stuff, you're not going to be anybody, and you're not mm-hmm. going to make anything of yourself. Right, and that is the problem, and it's right. a societal problem. I was that just we gonna. Have now. I was just gonna say, like, uh, that the the grading system, to my understanding, as an adult looking at the grading system from an outside perspective, the way that grades were supposed to work, or the grades, the way that grades look from an outside perspective, is C is average. Mm-hmm. C means you sit amongst an average number, average level of intelligence, and then B is supposed to go above that, and A is supposed to be above that. You know what I mean? And then D and F are obviously your below average. Right. And what some parents, including my own, 
you know, didn't fully understand was if you were, if you were getting that C most of the time, if you're in like middle school and elementary school and you're getting that C, it's, it, it was an initially intended to mean that you sit on that average right. mark. So most people should be getting C's. Right. Exactly. And then though, and then kids can work towards a B and work towards an A. I think that's why in college, I don't know if anybody's heard this, but at least a lot of us said, well, C's get degrees because C's are average. C's are enough mm -hmm. to pass. Yeah, once you're in college, it doesn't matter as much. Right. You know, a, a C means you are sitting right with the status quo, you're going with the flow, and that's how you go from there. And in, in employment, being average is okay. It's perfectly acceptable. It's expected. And then people who do go above and beyond for, like in nursing, if somebody goes above and beyond for patients, like we're striving for that A or B, we get recognized for it, you know? And it's the same thing with other professions. You know, people get promoted. If you're doing A plus work and everybody else is doing C work, that's okay. Everything's functioning, but that A plus person might get promoted or a raise or a reward because they're doing that. Right. Well, we have an issue now where there are only a few professions that pay a livable wage. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. But that's, that's whole another conversation. Well, well no, it, it ties right into this because if you only have a few professions that pay a livable, livable wage, what happens is people go and study for those professions and then your competition for getting a job in those professions is so high that a B might be the thing that like sets you below someone that has a, a 4.0 grade average. Yeah. So, I mean, we're at the point where like, I've been out of high school for 10 years mm -hmm. and if I apply to a job, they are still asking what my high school GPA was. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I have to look for it. Right, and it and it shouldn't it I don't should not matter. My GPA from high school at this point. Like, right, I have to go back and look through. I have no idea. My old transcripts, which I don't have on hand. I had to, I had to look at one of my old uh, resumes because it had it on there. Yeah. Because I didn't remember what my high school GPA was. What is that done for me? Right, and like, and even and you know, like breaking it up again, right? When it, when it came to like looking at my grades, I was an A, B, occasionally C student. Mm -hmm. um, there were a couple classes that I just did not do well in, like psychology, actually, believe it or not. I think psychology is so interesting and I loved learning about it. And in class, as a student, I was an A student. I participated, I wanted to learn, I was eager to hear, but that didn't reflect in my grade. You know what I mean? And, um, and that's, you know, and I, like, I'm not, I'm not shitting on my parents for this or anything, but I would get, I would get punished because like you said, the world is set up for those AB people, you mm -hmm. know, and it would be, this is not suffice. It, you need to do more. And while it sucked as a student, you know what I mean? I had to do better. Um, but ultimately, you know, striving for those A's and B's in school has led me to strive for above and beyond as an employee too. And and not to like toot my own horn or be cocky or anything like that, which is honestly the last thing I ever try to be, but that reflects in my work, in my, I get Daisy Awards. I've been mentioned in surveys, you know, I have patients who go to my manager and say like, she went above and beyond for me, like she did great, like thank you so much. And, and that reflects in my work 
But even in nursing, if you put my tasks in front of me on a piece of paper as a test, I was like a C, I was a BC student. Mm -hmm. I struggled in nursing school on tests, but I'm a great employee. I, my struggle was usually homework and it's because I like to do so many things like in high school, especially I was busy from 6am to 10pm. So the only C's I ever got were because I, there were certain homework assignments. I just didn't turn in because, or I turned them in so late. They gave me a, like a D on it when it was like, Oh, you got a hundred percent of it, but it's late. So we knocked you down for letter grades. Um, and that's cause like, I didn't go home till like eight or nine and then. Right. You forget. And a lot of teachers forget, or at least in high school, or they don't forget, they decide that, you know, the extracurricular students do aren't they, those things don't trump homework or your classwork when right. in, in reality they do. And in colleges they do, you know, they like to see the good grades, but they also like to see oh, you yeah. played sports, had jobs, volunteered, did this, did yeah, that. So far those extracurriculars have had much more of a significantly more effect on effect. me as an employee than right. my grades did. Absolutely. Because yeah, I, I learned haven't... time management skills and interaction skills yeah. and all that stuff. Look, I haven't used chemistry <laughs> in my professional life. And I got a C in chemistry because I did not complete my labs on time and I got points taken off for timeliness, Mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with your understanding. Right. Um, Could I still balance a chemical equation? Hell yeah, I can. I loved that. That was my favorite thing in chemistry. Do you know how many people got A's in chemistry that if you said balance this chemical equation at... 10 years later, they'll go, what's a chemical equation? (laughs) Like they were not above me in understanding, but, but because I just had different time priorities Mm -hmm. and because timeliness became a grading factor, I got a lower grade. Right. Now, when I was teaching Spanish, um, for my homework, I, since I only saw the kids once a week, um, I did not take points off for late work. Okay. Now, I was kind of an experiment on my end, um, and the school was experimenting on this in a different level. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I found that the pros are that when you get the work, it's usually done well. Right. Um, the cons are the kids that are a little bit, I don't know if lazy is the right word, but if they don't prioritize your class at all, they won't do the work. And then you end up having to give like a zero. Right. Um, And in work, in, in employment from a manager to employee, if you didn't, if you don't care about the work and you're getting those D's and F's, you get fired. Right. If you're, if you're not doing it, you get fired. And that's the reality of the real world. Right. Exactly. But if you're, if you're average or you're a C student, I personally think the best type of management are those that want to see your employees succeed and do well. Whether that means, you know, since we're since we're comparing management and education and using grades as a way to look at it all, which I actually think turned out to be a really good way to look at it all, you know? Like, management wants all of their employees C's or above. Mm-hmm. But good management should have tools in place so that those average employees or those C-level employees have the ability to to grow and move up the chain and support right. 
Yeah, because as you're doing something, the longer you do it, the better you're going to get. I mean, right. think about, like, you took one year of a subject in high school and college, mm-hmm. and then maybe you moved on to the next level in college. But when you're in your the workforce, you're working for years and years and years on that. You should be an expert by the end of your career right. in, in the things that you're working on. Or as, like, in nursing and medicine, there's new studies coming out all the time. So when your your subject is limited to that like one focus, you can delve into that and you can keep up with some more of the studies or um, you can become the expert in this one area that you are working in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might start as an average learn like person in the field, and then as you grow, you're going to become that expert. Right. And that opportunity should be there, and that room for growth should be there. Right, and sometimes in authoritarian management styles, that that growth or room for growth is not there. No. It is that the structure is in place, and you are to follow it, and you cannot move. Right. And that's the way it is. And I that's not that uh, I don't think that sets anybody up for success, except for in maybe like the military or something. But again, that's a whole different ball game, and you have to. There are other factors involved. But, right. But uh-huh. yeah, it's it's that, let's just say, poor management style is expecting everyone to be the expert the day they walk in the door and penalizing them for not being the expert. That's a great way to look at it. Because, no, and, and that's the thing. You know, sometimes you hire the expert, but, but sometimes you hire the average. You hire somebody who wants to get into the field and has put in the work and is ready to mm-hmm. give it a try. And your management should always support that, right. you know? I, I, I think another big thing that reflects on managers is um, when there's conflict in the workplace, you know what I mean? I think having that, first of all, having a laissez-faire management style when there's conflict in the workplace amongst your employees does not bode well no. at all. Because And both of those employees end up doing really bad work, honestly. If you don't like, if you... If you interact very frequently with a coworker that you are not getting along well with or that you are having significant conflict with, it affects both of your work. Mm-hmm. And for management to not step in when asked to step in, of course, you know, we're all adults, we should handle a certain level of our issues, but when it does start to affect your work and the way your tasks are being completed and the the proficiency of them being completed, hell yeah, management should step in. Mm-hmm. Because now you're going to start dragging down your other employees in most, right. most, most systems. Most systems, the way everybody works affects each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's a tough subject because... There's so many variables. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you want to look at it and just say conflict in the workplace, figure it out, you're at work. Right. But, I mean, sometimes that just doesn't happen. Right. I mean, it's sometimes it's a professionalism, professionalism issue. Right. Where it's just like, you know, these workers need to get it together and realize, like, you're at work, get it done. Right, and so... Ignore the other people if you don't like them, but work with them. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing. So like, so I had one supervisor who I could not stand after a certain point. We had a professional disagreement. I made an autonomous decision because 
that's the way that job is set up. I'm, I, I am able to make autonomous decisions if I think that's what's best. Mm -hmm. But so we had that professional disagreement. I made an autonomous decision and it affected the way she worked with me for the rest of the time I worked with her. She didn't she didn't like trust that I finished my work appropriately. She didn't trust that I was taking care of people appropriately. Mm -hmm. You know, if I said like, oh, this is a thing that's happening. How can I help? Or how, like, can you help me or something? It, it I did not get the same level of help mm -hmm. because we had a professional disagreement. And the manager that was, you know, above her didn't really didn't really step in, you know, not that she was a bad manager, but she didn't get involved in this professional issue that was significantly affecting that work. And I ended up leaving. Right. I ended up leaving because it affected my work. And I, I very much care about the level of work that I do. And that's what bad management does, you know, mm -hmm. you know, um, and you know, in a, in another job, I had a coworker who was on the same level of me. And personally, we did not click. We didn't do things together. We didn't do any of the similar things. And if we were in high school together, it would have been an awful, like, definitely would have been like a bullied, bullier kind of a situation probably. But in work, you know, if she was like, hey, can somebody help me with this? I'd be like, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. because that's my job. You know, as long as you're not affecting me professionally, that conflict in the workplace as adults, we should be able to move on from. And if people aren't, that is management's place to step in to say, hey, this is a place of work. You, you do your work. Mm -hmm. And in our place of work, especially in nursing, it requires help from your coworkers, from your superiors, from those below you. And if somebody is not contributing that, absolutely management should step in and fix it. That's what I think, at least. Yeah. Um, I, I think another really important quality in management is support in tough times and yes every field has tough times you know what i mean and sometimes that those tough times are very personal like you know the death of a coworker or the death of a coworker's family member or you know um some accident that happens in the workplace you know like there there are plenty of situations where sometimes it, it's personal and i think i personally think a good manager you know, should support you in that sense as well. For example, my, my, my last two managers, like I just have to rave about them. Um, just in specifically, I'm not shitting on my other managers, but you know, these two stand out to me and I will remember them forever mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I had a tough time. I had a, a a very tragic situation that happened in, in with both managers. They were different, different kinds of situations, but um, you know, I had very tragic situations that definitely affected my work. And it wasn't, it wasn't that I was doing bad work, but I wasn't doing the same level of work because I was struggling with this tragedy. And, you know, like my current manager, for example, when I wasn't busy the one day, she pulled me into her office and she was like, you know, I really feel like we should discuss this, you know, like what's going on and how are you feeling about it and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, at first I told her, I was like, no, I'm feeling okay about it now. I went home and I talked to my family and I, you know, I went and I talked to my therapist because I'm very open about that. I don't give a shit if anybody knows I see a therapist, you know, mm -hmm. and 
And I went and talked with them, and I'm feeling okay about it. And, you know, my manager was like, I'm really glad you have those sources outside of work, but you also have us. You know what I mean? You know you can talk to any of us. This is something that happened in the workplace, and we want you to know that you do have that support here in this workplace. That's and then nice. I wound up I wound up elaborating on some of my emotions a little more and how it has been affecting my work because it has been a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it's it's definitely altered the way I approach certain things and we explored that together as a manager and a coworker and then I we moved on with our day, but it was really really important to me as an employee to know that I had that level of support. Mm-hmm. from management and you don't get that from everybody and it was just like that was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk about this because good management really truly does lead to good work and happy work environments yeah you know um you know now now new management right I think some people don't always give them enough time to adjust. Most of the time, your managers are those like A-level experts. They've been doing this for a while, they have the answers, they know what's going on. But at some point in time, you know, somebody who was a level lower steps up into that management. Mm -hmm. And you need to give that person time to adjust to being a manager. Yeah, well often what happens is they take someone from a lower level of employment promote them to a manager, but move them to a different location mm-hmm. where they have not earned their, uh, their, earned their position re- in that location. Exactly. Yeah. So what ends up happening is, uh, people that were not offered that management position that were working hard at that location mm-hmm. then have some resentment of, I know the people here. I know how it works. I know what I've been like working on how to best improve all of these things while I was an employee here. Um, and now someone new is coming in and they're telling me all these things that I've worked my entire career for and figured out all these little tricks that work here are useless and their new style is what we're going to do. And they try and kind of like erase the culture of the place Mm -hmm. and insert themselves into it Mm -hmm. without having earned that. Which and, is definitely a problem on the, on the yeah. you know, management's position. I think it's a company game that, um, I don't, I don't know the exact reasons for it, but I think that it's not necessarily the best thing to do right away. I think when you're training a new manager, it should probably be in their environment that they were used to. Right. And I, then maybe once they're trained, then send them somewhere else. Right. That or there there definitely should be a period of of I guess shadowing or orientation. You know, like you can do a central orientation and tell them what their management like what their job is as the new manager of this place and stuff, but I think what makes the transitions easier for other employees is if you see those two managers, you know, the old and the new interacting and doing things in the same place. Now I know you don't always get that because sometimes managers are fired or they quit spontaneously and you can't do anything about it. But like in nursing, for example, you know, manager retired or they knew this manager was retiring. So they, sure they put in an interim manager, but the position was still posted online 
and you know anybody had the opportunity to go in and you you interviewed and you presented your things and blah 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 and et cetera et cetera and then you know quote supposedly the the best person for the job gets the job that's not always the case but that's how it's you know supposed to work and if that new manager has new ideas you know i do think that that's kind of on the employees to also be open to it yeah. but like you said if somebody has developed some tips and tricks over time that manager should also have almost like kind of like an open door policy where you should be able to come in and be like hey like i know you're new to this position and maybe you're new here but these are a couple things that i've found help me do this you know maybe you know maybe there are things you can implement or or you know you said you want it done this way but i found that when i do it this way it's really beneficial is it okay if i do it this way mm -hmm. that level of open communication needs to be had between management and employment in order to have a successful relationship mm -hmm. and that's definitely a fault on there's definitely a fault in there on both ends but just like parents with kids you know, the manager's in that level of superiority. So it's kind of more, in my opinion, it's more on them to be the bigger person than it is for the employee. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Amy, any thoughts? Because I know you, you're technically like a manager, right? I'm or supervisor. You are a manager? Yeah, I'm a manager. Come on over. Oh. You're too far from the microphone. Sorry. I don't know if anybody can hear you. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> well, no, that's well, that's good. So, I, what do you want my opinion on? I want your opinion on the perspective of you know a manager and what you think from 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 a manager. What you think is a good form of management? What you think things have worked and haven't worked? You know, what do you expect of your employees? Mm. Stuff like that. As a millennial man. Especially as a millennial manager, because you are in our generation. So I'm sure managers that you've had before you, there were things that they did that you did not like, and maybe you changed, and or... I just don't like to be talked down to. I don't think it's fair to expect people to know what they're doing immediately without you explaining stuff. That mm -hmm. was my problem in school, and it's my problem as a worker, too, that a lot of people think they told you something or explained it right, but they don't make sure that you understand it. And then the, the first time you do it, if you don't do it right, it's like, you know, you get treated like crap instead of like explained, you know, this is, you know, how I want you to do it. Or, you know, you know, you don't get, I think everyone should just be talked to like they're you know, a human being and... Basic human decency? Basic human decency. <laughs> I know people get overwhelmed and it can be stressful sometimes. I've had employees where I've had to say the same thing ten times and it gets really stressful and you get to a point where you're like, I can't explain this to you anymore. But it's your job to be like, how can I explain this to you better? What about this is confusing you, you know? And trying to get to the root of why they're either why they're not learning it or why they're not telling you they're not understanding when you're teaching it to them and trying to create a dialogue so and I think and that's great mm -hmm. I think that's what we need to see in management more that line of open communication not only should like you said you as the manager be able to go to them and be like hey why aren't you getting this how can I help you but that employee should also be able to come go to a manager and be like hey, like, I'm really struggling with this, 
you know, what, like, what can I do? I actually had to do that with my current manager. Um, and we appreciate it. Most, most managers that are good managers appreciate it if you're honest and just say, listen, I don't quite understand this. I think I need more training or I mm -hmm. want you to teach me this that I don't know because we're really busy too. And we might not have realized that we didn't explain something to you or go over something with you that we thought we did. So it's better than like hurting. I mean, we're in healthcare, so it's, it's uh, obviously preferred than you hurting a patient, you know, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> that like you just be honest and talk to me and from the start it the most frustrating thing to me is when someone gets in their own head before coming and talking to me and then they get themselves all frustrated and they make the whole situation worse rather than just being like hey I don't get this right, you right. Know, or, or I feel overwhelmed you have me doing too much like just tell me and I'll try to find a way to to even out what's going on or like you know to change what's happening if you feel overwhelmed there are times that you have to talk to the employee and say well i understand you're unwhelmed overwhelmed but this is what your job entails and this is what i explained to you when you were hired and if you can't do that then that's something we can talk about you know transitioning you into a different job but and I think that's a totally appropriate approach to that you know because there is there is a level of task and success that you need to see from your employees in order for your business or whatever is going on to succeed. Yeah. Um, so, so you're right. Like that is, that is an important level. Um, I think, you know, like that, that being able to go to a manager is definitely like a safety thing. So I, I just switched units and I went from neurology to postpartum, which is a dramatic difference I went from very sick people to pretty much for to very well people you know they're supposed to be on the healthier side except for you know a human exiting their body um, so the structure is very very different on my neurology unit you know it was everybody had vitals every four hours you know medications were given at this time they got this 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 and this done before they left and that's the way it was you know and then you would cater to each individual patient in postpartum because people deliver at different times of the day and the way you, your care is delivered is based on the timeline of when they delivered, how long they've been on the unit, stuff like that, there's a lot of variable. So coming from a unit with a lot of structure to a unit with so much variable, I 100% felt lost at first. I was confident in my ability to do the tasks, it was just the timing of them that I yeah. was like, oh, I don't know what to do here. So. You know, I was nervous too because I've had bad managers in the past, but I went to my manager and I was like, listen, I like, I just need, I need an idea of what your average day is supposed to go. You know, I have three couplets and they're at this, you know, they're day ones and what am I supposed to do? You know, and she took the time to sit with me. We sat for like 20 minutes, really, and we broke it down. And then she was like, okay, so now do you want to, can we go over the variable? And I said, yeah. And then she would say, okay, so here's this deviation. And I got to write it down. And here's this deviation. And I got to write it down. And it helped me a lot. And my abilities as an employee skyrocketed. Again, not to like toot my own horn or anything, but you know, I understood the structure and the way things were supposed to work. And it was helpful. And not everybody feels confident doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's throw this out to our listeners. What is 
something that a manager has done to support you in your job that you felt either made you enjoy your job more or made you better at it that mm -hmm. taught you something mm -hmm. and one other question what's what's a quality that you think majority of I want to say all but like what's what's a universal quality that you think management should have for to set you up for success my my answer to that I think it's open communication I think that channel between manager and employee or a manager and superior manager that open communication I think that's I think that is the most important universal quality um, so I want to hear what yours is because everybody's is different you know mm -hmm. cool yeah um, thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another episode of Millenniating. Um, and make sure you check out our page. Follow me on Instagram at Gabrielle Bellardo. Search us on Facebook, M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-T-I-N-G. We're actually going to be doing some, a couple of different things. We have a couple videos planned. We have a couple potential surveys coming out. So keep an eye out for those posts so that we can get your participation and your input. Awesome. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at Dan Feld. Yeah, find him because the more people that follow him, the more, the more likely I'll he is actually to, have to post. <laughs> actually post things. Thanks for listening. Peace out. Bye.